wrote my happy songs. Every child may enjoy to Welcome back to the Current State of Music podcast. I'm your host, Chris Cracknell, audio mix engineer at my own t- studio in Brighton called Goldtone Studio. I also do a radio show once a week on one BTN down here, and I go by the name of Six Foot Stereo. And I also produce and remix under the name of Hollows. So that's my qualification as to why I'm talking about these things today. So this podcast is was originally to set out to find interesting stories and interesting people with their verdict on where music is right now. For my own benefit, really, to find out if it's an industry that I could sustain a living from, if I could work full-time in it, due to uh, some life-changing circumstances last year. And so season one had kind of been on the run-up to that, and then sort of something happened, and it's kind of even more prescient to me now to try and find out if if there is a living to be made, how are artists surviving, how are industry people surviving, how are labels surviving... All these different stories, and I thought it'd be interesting to kind of find out their their backstory as well, how they got into the industry, like what what inspired them, what's kept them going, what's kind of held, how have they managed to kind of navigate the stormy waters of internet and it, all those sort of things, and in doing so, find that I've draw many comparisons with a lot of these people and their stories I feel the same way as they do some of the time so it's incredibly inspirational to me to hear these stories and to gain some insight about how everyone feels and there was no story more that kind of touched me than the subject of this 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 episode it's uh, with Rich File, who was in, in Uncle with um, James Lavelle, and who does has gone on to further projects since. I bumped into him at a gig in Brighton and got introduced to him through my friend at Fat Cat Records, Alex Knight. And uh, we just got chatting and we kind of hit it off and then we sort of arranged to do this quite quickly and it sort of came together really well. And I kind of thought I'd ballsed it up to start with because I think Logic wasn't recording properly or one of the mics wasn't working properly. So we got sort of a few minutes in and then had to start again. And I kind of was really worried that I'd like lost his enthusiasm. But we started again and what ended up was a really honest, beautiful conversation with someone who obviously feels the world and synthesised it through his music and uh, it was a great pleasure and I think this may be one of my favourite episodes just because I really appreciate his softly spoken manner and the way he sees the world so I really hope you enjoy this one I'll be back at the end obviously for a bit of housekeeping and all that sort of bollocks but in the meantime I really hope you appreciate an hour in the company of Rich File I'm all right. Uncomfortable um, with being interviewed. I'm uncomfortable with having to be interviewed three times. Um, <laughs> so I have to repeat my name three times because we had to delete the first two. It's bad enough to say my name once, let alone three times. Oh so, um, yeah, we'll have to ease back in. 
And what roles within music do you occupy? Um, completely lost my train of thought, which happens. Would you say you're a producer, or are you, do you a musician, or a musician and producer? Or? I make I make music from the ground up. Yeah. Yeah. And what kind of form does that take? Do you sit there with a guitar, or and write a song, or do you fiddle around with electronics, or? Most of the time, it's just when I'm walking around and a melody will just come into my head and I just get my phone out and sing it into my phone. Okay. And then... Then I'll hear the bass line and then I'll sing that into my phone. And, um, and maybe a, a hook. And I'll just put it all into my phone and then I've got loads of them and I've sort of... Prioritise the ones that really I really feel, but yeah, I've got like an endless supply of those now, and um, I just take them in the studio and just yeah, I just import those um, iPhone audio files and go from there. Okay, well that brings up a really interesting point about technology and maybe how it's changed your workflow, because obviously you couldn't always use a phone to record your ideas. Yeah. But I don't want to get ahead of myself here. I want to try and do it in a chronological order. But we will come back to that because I think that's a probably a really probably one of the biggest subjects in this podcast is the role technology is in play has played or is playing in changing people's the way they work and how they sort of generate ideas or how they get music out to the public or whatever. But we'll come back to that mm. at the time. Yeah, it didn't start that way. I mean, I can tell you how it began. Well, we'll it might be a good place to start at the beginning. Well, let's start with, and I do like to try and get back to when you were young and any sure. sort of standout memories of music. When you felt like the first song you heard, where it was like, hang on a minute, what's that? Or sort of a musical memory that kind of possibly set you on the path that you're on. Well, the first tape I owned was Thriller. Right. And and also Uptown Girl, that Billy Joe, Billy Joel album. Classic. Those two yeah. bought them on the same day in our price next to McDonald's in Sutton. Or HMV, which whichever one of the two that was next to McDonald's in Sutton. And um, I, would have, I would have been, what, seven or eight? Yeah. And... What was it that drew you to Thriller? Like, it, it, it probably hadn't seen the video at that point, but maybe heard about it, or I think they were just—it was just probably the press, you know, yeah. around that, around, around that. I mean, saying that, my parents did play off the wall when I was growing up. Right. Um, did your parents have a good or a musical taste? Like, was music they, part of being at home? They had a great musical taste, and they liked Simply Red. Well, you know, lots of people did like Simply Red, or still do like Simply Red. Needs must. That's it. Glad Nick has done right for himself, hasn't he? Certainly has. So, being sort of seven or eight, listening to Michael Jackson, how did that kind of then translate going through school? Was 
your time in school very musical? Did you, you know, were you sort of learning instruments at school or? Well, an important, no, I mean, no, I did. I, actually, I learned the flute, I think maybe at nine or something. I mean, it was one of those things, looking back, you know, I was asking my parents what I should play or at least conferring with them. And I wanted to play guitar, but my dad said, oh, no, because it's plucking and not strumming. So, right. So, so I, yeah, so I don't know what that was all about. Um, but, yeah, it feels it's still something that fucks me off. I end up playing the flute. <laughs> I can really sing and play the flute simultaneously. It's really, no, I can't. I'm saying it's not the greatest of writing no, no, no. instruments, yeah. is it? It's like, uh, how can I... Uh, and obviously at the time I wasn't thinking that, but later on I was like, yeah, that's really impractical to play something with your mouth if you want to be a singer. But um, I did play the glockenspiel in the school orchestra for a couple of years. Um, I I did sing Once and Royal David City, the first verse in the school... Heavy Christmas vibe. Christmas uh, carol service. <laughs> And, um, but what was really poignant for me was I had a subconscious belief at the time. I didn't, it was, it wasn't, I wasn't aware of it consciously, but up to a point, I thought that, you know, music was what people like Michael Jackson did. I didn't consider myself the same kind of human being. Yeah. And... And it was one day when a kid a couple of years above me at school played a piece of music in assembly that he wrote on a keyboard and I was like, oh, anyone can do this, can they? It kind of like, it woke me up to the fact that normal people can make music. Yeah. And until that moment, I was, I wasn't, it was when I woke up out of a this delusion that that wasn't something that I could do yeah. and it was when he played that that I was like fucking hell that means anyone can do it wow. yeah I guess there was that period wasn't there because it was like after punk had kind of been and gone not that I was particularly aware of anything at that point but thinking about it from my point of view there was the music that you were kind of exposed to around that time was all very polished and the only access to it was through, like, you know, sort of the Radio 1, radio, you know, those sort of things. And it did seem like a thing somebody else did. It wasn't like in punk where it was like anyone could pick up a guitar and make something. It was like this polished product that existed elsewhere that other people did. Mm. I've not really thought about that before, but that's just kind of made me think about that. It's true. Um, and another, another person that comes to mind that I think before owning Thriller that I used to record off of the top 40 was was Phil Collins, which the production on that was immense. Um, But Against All Odds was just like, blew my mind. Did your dad listen to that in the car? Mine did, religiously. Um, No, the the standout track that my dad... I remember him bringing home the 12-inch and putting it on, and and it was Dancing in the Dark, Bruce Springsteen, and that was... Tuned. and it was pretty cool to have a dad that brought that home on 12 inch and yeah. stuck it on yeah I remember that moment so being in like the school choir and not the school choir school orchestra that yes. might, did that provide 
you know a sort of musical training like you learn what music's been written before things are in an orchestra so they've kind of been done in a in a fashion were you picking up on that sort of consciously or were you just kind of going along and playing stuff were you learning to read music no no I mean no I, I was I was I've been in a daze most of my life so is the truth a one that I've only I'm only just discovering I was in because I'm coming out of it now oh really yeah um so I, I was just floating along. I wasn't really engaging in much, you right. know. Um, I mean, I've come out of it in, in stages. There'd be another stage, which we'll get to later. When I was 19, I saw someone DJing in a shop, and that was another wake-up. Like, yeah. I want to do that, you know. So, but, but yeah, there's been... There's a... Uh, you know, there's a lot of just psychological barriers that I've had, uh, just just that tell me I can't do things, you know, and slowly but surely. Only noticing them when something is so significant, it pulls me out of something I didn't even realise I was in. Yeah. Which is just behind this wall of psychological just... Um, just... kind of disconnection, basically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you think that's to do with like where you grew up and the sort of environment that you're in? I mean, you know, do you think if because I, I I can certainly relate to that. I grew up in sort of Dartford area where nobody famous comes from, nothing good happened, you know, and you just think all these cool things that are happening are just they're not for you, they're for other people that are doing it, and you can only kind of stand and watch that you're not allowed in kind of thing yeah that's been, it big, that's been a big sort of theme for me is actually like allowing myself to do some of these things and become that person yes yeah absolutely it was um for example like teenage years and seeing people in bands you know again and they were just again local kids but that was subconsciously it was like oh that's that's for them yeah, you know, it's I didn't I didn't know that that was, but it's only in in the in the recent years that realising, yeah, I had that belief that the good things were for other people. Yeah, you know, the things the things that I really wanted to do, I couldn't do. Yeah, um, but it was all yeah, it was all just psychological, you know, um, and but yeah, thankfully I had skateboarding, you know, wow. that was that was my guitar. Yeah. Um, that was my that was that was that was what me got got me out of Sutton you know that's what okay. got me connected to South Bank for yep. a good few years yeah, yeah, yeah. so um, what era was that who was skating was it like Mike Manzuri and yeah uh, Mike Manzuri I was there. best mates with Curtis McCann for oh, a, a number of years yeah because oh, he he lived close to me and yeah. um yeah we we hit it off and we used to yeah we used to party and stuff and um yeah, and yeah, Mike was his teammate on M Zone at the time. Right. Um, and um, yeah, no, and, and yeah, and South. I was talking to someone about it recently, like South Bank. It was pre-mobile phones, and my mum used to be able to call the phone box, and they'd be like, "Rich, it's your mum." <laughs> you know, the phone box of the office, the South Bank office, <laughs> next to the ice cream van. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, well, that was that was a kind of. That was a cool time. There was a lot of stuff going on then as well, wasn't there? Kind of the whole sort of culture of 
lots of things tied in and skateboarding seemed to be in the middle of it. Skateboarding was like intrinsic in youth culture at that time. And so yes. kind of music played a big part. Is that how exactly. you sort of then moved into that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that was it. Because skateboarding just felt accessible. I mean, what happened? I won the premium bonds. I won like 50 quid and bought a skateboard from Pearson's, yeah. which is my local bike shop. And that was just the beginning of my love affair with skateboards and felt like something that was open to me, you know. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, but through that, exactly like you say, you know, I've got access to, to a lot of music. And um, and the musical ties, you know, through the through the, the films, escape yeah. movies and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. Um, and the so are you still at sort of you just left school? Are you still at school at the time, or yeah, um, I was at. Um, I'm trying to think where we where we're going back to now. Well, there was yeah, there was a few there was a few things. I'm trying to think of the musical kind of steps, um, the next sort of significant moment. Because yeah, I had I had written off, or hadn't even written off consciously anything. I just you know I was veering away from ever thinking that I had a career in music or an opportunity in that in that way. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was a skateboarder. I drank a lot. I took a lot of drugs and. Um, yeah, just had fun basically, and then it was um, when I was 17 or 18. I was at college, and and I walked into the first independent dance music record shop in in Sutton called Yes Records right. in the arcade, and there were these two dudes in bomber jackets standing behind the the Oki um, with two uh, yeah with two 1210s and a mixer and just doing the do and it just blew my mind yeah and when I wanted something like that for example when I wanted to be involved I wasn't shy in asking and I asked them to ask them to teach me to mix and they did wow. and um because yeah I was just like I need to do that I mean literally again that moment it was like I don't. I don't know that I'm asleep until I. The moment I wake up. Yeah. And I walked in there. You know. Yeah. Completely asleep because I just went. <laughs> exploded when I just saw them. I mean, literally, I came alive. It's like somebody just jolted me with electricity. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was like. I need to be involved with that stuff. And yeah, and they taught me to mix, and I was so fortunate because they taught me to mix in a way that at the time I didn't realise was was. Um, quite uh, rare but so so um, well see it, it just it's 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 just a I love the technique is as opposed to pushing the record and stopping the record on the side use the pitch so if you're at right. plus two yeah and it's a bit slow you just go down to eight and then back up again yeah. and if it's too slow you go down and so you use the pitch and it's so much smoother to yeah you don't you don't really hear the changes yeah. so it was so I was really fortunate to, to learn that way yeah from that the is off. a rare technique isn't yeah. it no, probably normally employed by people with like belt drives just because it's harder to push and stop isn't it because it then takes there's a bit of lag to kind of catch up with itself okay well it's just smoother because if you touch it or push it you can you hear it yeah but if doing that it just doesn't you don't have that little yeah it's so yeah, I, I just think it's a brilliant way of doing it. It's it's um it's certainly 
a lot less obvious if you're moving things in my experience anyway but one thing that happened before that is a few years before that my mixing experience was I, I knew that I looking back I'm mean, thinking about it now you know I always had an obsession with music beyond just listening to records because I loved the fact that on my stereo I could put two tapes in like one of my first like sort of boom boxes and if I and there's tape A and B and if I put it in the middle I could hear both the tapes at the same time yeah and that just blew my mind I could hear two things simultaneously I mean yeah that's mixing I mean yeah. they weren't at all synced up yeah but just the fact I thought I'd discovered this secret world when it's like oh my god if I just hold that in just the right place I can hear both the records it just yeah. felt insanely good to, yeah to, to just I suppose manipulate things take yeah. something that yeah. something one does and another person had done and somehow make them into one thing yeah for a moment you know it yeah. was it was special and then DJing became an extension of that because suddenly you can make a third track which yeah sounded like a song because it was like the tracks were yeah. playing at the same tempo and only exists there and then yes nobody else has got that yeah music so was that it was that like the rabbit hole you fell down yeah so so that was um yeah DJing got me into again yeah that was my way in um to I suppose music beyond just listening and I started doing little tapes and stuff and I was very fortunate that pretty soon someone introduced me to um, someone who was playing on Energy FM in Croydon at right. Park Radio Station and and I, I started doing a set with him, um, did a back-to-back -back set, um, DJ Manic his name was, um, and then what was my DJ name at the time? DJ Aura. Aura? Yes. Nice. And um, and so yeah, we did that for a bit, and then through him, I met someone. That station, I think, was closing, and then there was a guy who was starting up Flex FM, and right. so played on that for a bit. Was it Flex? No, it was um, it was something else before Flex. Oh no, no, he took yeah, this guy Faisal took me to Flex, yeah, and that's where I was for. A few years so that was going on skateboarding was going on pipe radio and um, yeah I mean you know I was made up to be playing every Sunday night on the pipe radio station it was amazing yeah, um, it's really exciting and you still sort of playing were you playing any instruments were you kind no, of no not at all no like just playing all. drum and bass just right. just obsessed with drum and bass um, both the heavy stuff and the LTJ Bookham yeah. stuff um, different reasons the good LTJ Bookham stuff yeah. um, as I say uh, which there was not many tracks but yeah the ones that were good like the ones that Bookham made himself for example like music and Apollo amazing but yeah so anyway yeah so so drum and bass in in all its well in in, in its in its kind of darkest sounds and also it's more um, the 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 more sophisticated end of the, the kind of jazzy and yeah. um, kind of uh, ambient drum and bass and um, and it was through that yeah drum and bass and this guy that I'd known through skateboarding called Will Bankhead that um, we went in the studio Will and I to 
to make a song. Um, to, to, he's got loads of records, and we just grabbed a bunch of samples, went through a bunch of samples one night, or a bunch of records, found some samples, and um, yeah, took them into this studio of a guy called Ills, um, who his name's spelled I L S, and he was the first engineer that I worked with, and worked with him for a few years. He's awesome. Um, he was signed to Marine Parade, Adam Freeland's label. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. It. And um, yeah, we had some fun times. And did and you made... do? Did you kind of do that just because at the time other people were sampling and you thought I can do this? Well, it, yeah, it was it was a, it was a it was a logical progression from um, no pun intended. Just no, that's bad to say. Um, <laughs> because uh, because yeah, it's like we we're playing these records. And it was like people were just basically stealing bits off the records they were, or, or the drums of the records that they were playing, and then finding some samples, and then you know next thing they had a new, a new song. Um, and so, yeah, we just we put a bunch, we put a bunch, or took a bunch of samples in. And Eels was really creative anyway, so you know, and because of his experience, he he brought his experience to the to the production. Yeah. And um, so you just had to turn up with some loops, really, and some beats, and then you know you put a bass sound across the keyboard, and it was just like, oh my god, this is this is heaven. Um, and we made a track called Summer Madness, which was sampling Summer Madness by um, I heard it the other day. I've just drawn a blank. Keep thinking of the Fresh Prince. <laughs> <laughs> Is it cool in the gang? Yes, yes. Thought so. So, um, thank you. So we made this song, yeah, with Summer Madness hook, and um, and Will knew James Lavelle, right? And so, and it was when labels outside of the independent drum and bass labels were starting to sign drum and bass acts right and um, and James really liked this song and the next thing we were having a meeting with James and he wanted us to make an EP so um, Mo Wax was like in full full flow at this yeah. point or was it still sort of fledging um, it was in full flow it was before it was before the DJ Shadow album but it was there had been up to that point, you know, it was like Palmskin Productions and um, and Howie B had done some yep. stuff and um, yeah, I'm terrible at remembering names, but yeah, it was it was it was happening for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so were you were you aware of Mo Wax then? Yeah, yeah. So that must but be I, pretty heavy. Yeah, it? it absolutely was. I mean, it wasn't. It was. It was. It wasn't until I went to watch James DJ that I got uh, the first full education in in, in trip hop, basically. Right. Um, and you know, I, I only knew it through Portishead and um, Massive Attack. Yeah. And and a few twelves actually that my friend bought and had left them at my house, but. Yeah, I mean, I was just listening to drum and bass for that was all I was listening to, yeah. and and it wasn't until yeah going to see James play in Brighton and hearing Influx, the DJ Shadow Twelve yeah. that proceeded 
introducing that I was just like, wow, this music excites me as much as drum and bass. Yeah. Um, I think I was into anything that didn't have lyrics on it. Even though I was into Porter's Head and Massive Attack, it's like I loved instrumental music at that yeah. point, mostly. And yeah, to hear this other genre that was instrumental predominantly was, was really exciting. Was that another moment where you felt like you were waking up into something? Was it that yeah, sort of profound? Yeah, absolutely. Thing? Yeah, it was. It was. And, and also, uh, I suppose at the same time, a, a, a feeling of, fucking hell, this, this, is, this is actually happening. There's something happening here. I mean, not only for James and, and Mowax and Trip Hop, yeah. um, and, and this, 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 this scene that is um, evolving, but my... Um, inclusion in in the music business. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was a, it was definitely a. It was definitely from that moment I walked into the record shop and went, oh my god, like I, I need to learn to mix. To that point, just was like six, twelve months or something. Wow. That's or a... maybe or two or maybe two years. I don't know, but it just it was literally a whirlwind. Yeah. Um, and so and, and so so James signed me. Um, as much for my potential as well obviously he'd only heard a little bit but it was yeah. he, he felt that I had something to offer yeah. um, and to have his his I mean you know James Lavelle um, <laughs> um, his uh, blessing was was pretty was, was really something yeah that's kind of a that's a, an affirmation that yeah. you you must be doing something right that must be an incredible experience to to go through absolutely yeah it was amazing um so then what what did you have to sort of do after that then so you were like okay right i better start i better kind of get on it and be making music yeah well it was a mixture of hanging out at the Mowax offices where people were coming and going all the time and it was just a great vibe there the, the yeah. people who worked there and the people who would come through um, that was just a great scene there was um, so it was yeah be, be getting involved with just so many creative people on a daily basis making tracks with ills there was Heads 2 was being compiled and I had a couple of songs on there yeah. as well as a track that actually was on Logical Progression um a drum and bass track yeah um called which on on logical progression it was spelt it was form was was will and i's act f-o-r-m-e right and it was spelt form form i think on on the logical progression thing because it was kind of the days where things kind of were just done kind of uh sometimes without just the right label coffee <laughs> for example someone didn't get the facts <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah but still yeah exactly I'd rather they'd I'd rather have the, uh, uh, yeah I was just you know what it was it was yeah it was a bummer not to have my name on there properly but it was yeah. amazing to have a track on that that, that um, album it was incredible um, so yeah there were things like that happening um, so I was I suppose just doing making so many different styles of music because I didn't you know I just was into music and yeah. I hadn't had time or I was fortunate to have been signed off the back of the first time I'd ever been in the studio and and so I was just having a laugh basically yeah you know um, and 
So yeah, a couple of tracks on 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 the Heads compilation, Heads Two compilation. I mean, that was it. And and for example, like the D, it was DJ Aura and DJ Solo, which was the guy, another guy that I worked with. Sorry, because what happened in the end? Yes, is Will and I started f- form a bit later. Will decided that he didn't want to. I forgot to mention Mark, DJ Solo. He was also part of the um, collaboration on the Summer Madness, the drum and bass stuff. Yeah. So Will ended up deciding that he'd rather just do something with me, and so we did that. We chose. We decided we'd do that a bit later. I'd finish this EP with Mark because it had started, and James was expecting it. And then yeah. Will and I will continue as form after that. Um, so it was a DJ solo and DJ Aura EP on Excursions, which was right. the sister label of Moax. Yeah, and it was a box set, and it's like yeah, it sold like. I mean. It, did, it, it could have been blank. Uh, Mo Wax and Excursions records just sold. I think it sold like six and a half thousand. Wow. You know, it's just like, <laughs> oh. um, just because, yeah, like I say, it could have been blank. Yeah. Um, because people just bought the records because, well, the artwork was beautiful. Yeah. Um, obviously, the ones by artists that people knew would probably sell more, but it was like the bottom line was like 5,000 or something. You yeah, know, it yeah. Was, that, that was the kind of. You know the kind of units they were shifting in those days. Um, so yeah, so so I, you know, it was it was. I suppose, yeah, of course, I knew that I was super fortunate, but it wasn't until, and we'll get to that obviously, like more recent years, that you know you look back and go, you know, it, I was so fortunate so early on to get so many breaks that I didn't really have a. I wasn't in touch with reality really in terms of what it what it generally took yeah. to get to that point you yeah. know I mean but that was just my my life and my journey and yeah so I'm not I'm not in any way um or feeling like I wish it was any different but it was just interesting the way that it's it kind of um meant that yeah I had a very naive uh kind of outlook on the real world outside of yeah. probably the best you know at the time the most successful independent label or one of them of the time do you know what I mean to kind of go straight into that yeah but, but, you, anyway, did, but you didn't fuck it up because I guess you obviously then I mean so you, you know you obviously had an ear or you did the work to get the results because somebody else getting in that position might just think, oh, I'm, I'm fucking amazing here. Done one track, got signed, here I am. And not, I'm rested on that. Do you know what I mean? Like, some people may have rested on what they'd just done and the position they found themselves in. And other people would be like, wow, I'm really, you know, this is this doesn't happen to everyone and I need to make sure that I make the most of this and it sounds to me like you made the most of the position you were then in and not everybody does that well I, I knew I was super fortunate I trusted that yeah James wouldn't sign me for nothing so I I was I, I just realised that I was going I was in the best kind of like apprenticeship possible to be in where yeah I've been trusted or I've been James has seen the potential in me and so as opposed to just being at home on my own for a few years yeah. trying to work it out I was going to be doing it amongst these really influential people yeah. and that was was that yeah, a lot of pressure amazing. 
No, because I, I like I, I James was so supportive, you know, and like just have one person that believes in you. Someone that you respect and they believe yeah. in you, it's like you don't need anything else. Yeah. Or I didn't need anything else. Yeah. You know, that was enough. It's more than enough. Um and so yeah, I just enjoyed it, you know. I, I just enjoyed my my good fortune yeah. and just went with it and and um and just yeah, all the opportunities, you know, there were just so many opportunities that come along that like one of the early ones, because I wasn't Nike came to Mowax and said they wanted one of the Mowax artists to make a well it was it was Wyden and Kennedy, the advertising company who were working for, for Nike. So they wanted Mowax they wanted a Mowax C D, but it needed to be with an unsigned artist or someone who wasn't signed to PRS yet right. because they wouldn't be able to pay the royalties. So it yeah. had to be something that was but I'm even I'm just thinking of that now. Like you just didn't all you'd have to do was not um not register it with PRS. But anyway, yeah. at the time, um I wasn't registered to PRS myself and Ills weren't and so we got to make this CD for Nike basically which was a yeah a trip hop CD we, we made all original music and used the the signature the the, uh, the the sports people's signature who were signatures of the of the of the uh, trainers um, we had their vocals on dub plates and we were incorporating those into yeah, the right. into the songs so it's yeah really really Great. I mean, they made a million CDs, five hundred thousand or a million. But it was like they were on the front of FHM and all sorts, right. and it was yeah, just like yeah. it was. I mean, yeah, they were. You know, it was yeah, amazing, amazing thing. Um, so things like that, you know, yeah. and just it was, it was, it was just it couldn't have been better. And then DJing, I was, I was, I used to play the the last set at Dusted at um, the 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 yeah, night yeah, at yeah. Um, the Blue Note. Yeah, yeah, I used to play drum and bass. Um, I've probably seen you DJ there. Okay. I used to go up to the Blue Note. Really? Yeah, quite a lot. Yeah, at that time, you know, it was like all this new stuff. Yeah. It was like incredible. I didn't know, like, I didn't have a fucking clue what was going on. Do you know what I mean? But yeah. I was just like, oh, I'm going up to London. Yeah. And my cool friends would go, let's go to the Blue Note and I'd be there. Didn't quite appreciate sort of what was happening around me at that time. Mm. But I didn't care because I was young and pissed. But yeah. But it's a shame, but yeah, I've probably seen you DJ twenty five years ago. <laughs> Funny, yeah, it was it was it was it was great, and so there was that, and yeah, it was just it was just the best, you know, it was literally the best, and um, and Will and I messed around with some stuff we did some remixes we remixed um, CL Smooth DJ Crush and CL Smooth remix I really like and, and a couple of other things uh, that we did remix we didn't end up making an album I think what ended up happening was that Nike thing came along and that was how my contract got um, kind of uh, what's the word like uh, the, the Nike album was my Mowax album to to, to, to complete that contract right um, the reason being because the next thing James we were in we were in a cab James, James was he I think he yeah he'd been to he'd been to he'd been to um, LA 
to start writing for the first Uncle record with Tim Goldsworthy and they right. were in, working with loads of people and um, trying loads of collaborations and then they came back and Tim what Tim didn't want to do it in that way with lots of collaborators and so Tim yeah. Tim left right. because James was sure that he wanted it to be a really collaborative thing yeah. and um, and so yeah that, so so then James was looking well working out what he was going to do with Uncle and um, we we we, were, we used to go out as socially um, a lot <laughs> more and more as time went on. Um, we just we were just best mates. We just yeah. hit it off. And um, yeah, there was Bar Rumba, which yep, was another yep. great one on the Monday night. But then there and then there was weekends, and I started to go um, yeah, just go DJing with him at the weekend basically. Or he yeah. DJ and I just go and <laughs> I just go and um, you know prop up the bar. Um, and yeah, it was great. And um, and one time we were coming back and I was singing. Well, I was pissed that I was singing to an Oasis song in in the in the cab or whatever it was we were in. And James goes, "You can sing. You should you should be the singer for Uncle." Wow. And I was like, "Okay, <laughs> sounds good." Because I yeah, I just you know, well, I had sung. You know, I'd never thought that I would ever sing. again. It's like it was only when someone instilled some belief in me that yeah. That, that something or you know, well or something some, something happened there was just a moment where it just went something happened and that was that was that moment where wow okay and then um, and the next thing like maybe within a week or two I was in I was in Davis California with in DJ Shadow's house um, he gave me a beat but he just gave me a beat there was no music attached to it and I couldn't play guitar and and at the time I thought I was you know I I was yeah I was um, I was upset that I couldn't find a melody right. you know it's yeah. like, um, but I understand now that it's because there was nothing to find a melody to you know um, you know it's like I need at least one note that yeah, would be helpful I mean now I don't now just melodies come but in at that first point I mean I was so green it was just like it was such a trip and Davis is just like this t this town it's like about five blocks by five blocks right. um, or maybe 15 but yeah it's small it's a college town and um, I went to my first Denny's and had my first eggs over easy experience <laughs> just felt like I was in a movie basically it was, <laughs> it was so trippy in the best possible way and um but yeah, so so I came back from that experience. It, it, it didn't really work out, but I knew that I needed to. I started to, to pick up a guitar and try and right. play that. But it was like it was just like literally, what's this shit? What does it do? Um, you know, I was trying to find a platform to sing on top of, yeah, basically. Yeah, and I did, and there's Kudo as well from Major Force. I did a couple of demos with him downstairs in the Moax. Um, so they were just trying to get me to get one song together. Um, in many different ways and and I again I was just I, I was I was going I was just rolling with the punches and not and and just being okay with the knocks you know because it yeah. was just I was literally I felt like a ball in a pinball machine but a really good one and yeah. and even the knocks were fun yeah. you know like lights had lights had come on and stuff you know <laughs> so I'd be like cool um so um so 
so yeah and there, there were many different but what happened was oh yeah and then we did record a song actually with um with johnny dollar who wrote a lot of the and produced yeah. a lot of the massive attack stuff yeah, yeah. um on blue lines and james johnny and i wrote a song in a day um it was on a beat it was on a shadow beat that did have some music attached to it right. <laughs> and um and we wrote the song and the, we wrote the melody and the lyrics and recorded it all in a day and that was the first time i'd ever completed a song yeah and again to work with a legend such as johnny dollar in that in that um at that time it was just yeah it was just all these just amazing amazing things happening one after the other um but the record i didn't feel it was right so okay. th- again it was it was a shame and there was one other there was there's a track on the uncle album the what became the uncle album called um something annihilation i can't remember the name but at one point it was I tried singing Dreams by Fleetwood Mac on top of it mm. because it's the same chords. And um, and I didn't know about keys and stuff like that and Pro Tools wasn't at the point where you could just shift the whole song up yeah. two semitones. Yeah. And it was way too low for me. Um, so I'm just in there. And again, I didn't realise, you know, I, I was so green, I'm just like, I can't sing it, not realising that even at that point that people have a range and it's yeah. like, it doesn't, It's it's not like you're crap if you can't sing a note that you weren't born to sing (laughs) it's like you move the song into your key you know that's what everyone does but we couldn't do that with that um because yeah pro tools didn't have those couldn't do that at the time so again it was another disappointment but that was the last one that was my last attempt to get on that record right and because at first, yeah, I was going to be the main singer. It was before there was going to be... Or there was going to be, yeah, a few collaborations, but James wanted a main singer. Yeah. Or maybe he didn't, and, and it was it was when he considered that I could be that, that then that was a potential thing. And yeah. then it went back the other way in the end. But, um, but yeah, out of that experience, I left it deflated, but um, totally sure that I wanted to be a singer and just started to learn guitar because yeah. I knew I needed a foundation yeah. to, on which to write melodies. That was the classic way at the beginning and so that's what I thought I needed. Now, like I said, I, I rarely write to chords. I find the chords afterwards. Yeah. Um, but but at the time, yeah, that was what I did. And, and then, you know, long story short, I mean, obviously, you know, the first Uncle record was absolutely mind-blowing and... Um, you know, you got Tom York, and you got like basically the the cream of the crop on that record. So it's not surprising that I didn't make it um, onto there. And you know, yeah, that record is is pretty perfect as it is. Um, but that whole experience, yeah, just gave me the 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 motivation to want to do that. And and long story short, yeah, I became the main singer on the next record. Yeah. And, and, and half of Uncle, basically. I became yeah. 50% partners in Uncle from from the next record. So you were starting years. to... You were adding music as well as singing. You were writing songs. Yes. And so how did that feel? Because that's... that After the first one comes out and it's massive, there must have been kind of a lot... Was there a lot of pressure to kind of repeat, repeat it? Or will you just have the complete freedom to kind of take it anywhere you and James wanted it to yeah and I didn't feel any of that pressure because 
Yeah, I, I was just, you know, I was just pretty cocky and 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 I, and I just, well, I didn't allow that stuff. I just, I didn't allow it in. Yeah. You know, I was just like, I'm again, I'm given this amazing opportunity to to work in studios, just make some music and just have fun and and I did. I didn't feel the pressure. I mean, yeah, I didn't even think about it. I was just really fortunate, I suppose, to not um, to not buy into it and just be really appreciative of the opportunities that I was being offered and yeah it was like yeah it was just it was just again it's just like you know one thing after another just these amazing opportunities and so yeah I just didn't I just didn't get into it and even in the press like that followed and he always would ask how does it feel to be in shadows shoes and it's yeah. like I don't you know I don't feel like that I've got my own yeah. and 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 I'm not I'm not try, I wasn't trying to to compete you know I I can't I mean yeah I just you know I'm not shadow 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 and I'm me and and he makes the music he makes and I make the music I make and yeah it felt quite simple actually you know yeah it seems to be quite an easy thing that people say compare one artist against another and I don't do that in painted art for instance or graphic art they don't put Banksy against you know someone else or you know Arrow or whatever it's true because isn't it? it doesn't make any sense but they do do it with music don't they or they you know it seems to be like an easy thing to do in music and it seems a strange thing I was talking about this with somebody in the pub the other night saying whether you were into Elton John or David Bowie and it's like well they're two completely different things why do you have to either be into one or be into the other you can like them for what they are because they're both very different so it seems for me you know like ask people asking you the question you know comparing you to DJ Shadow well I'm assuming you're not trying to do the same thing well you weren't well no I mean I couldn't even if I, if I wanted to and it wasn't about that it was you know I'm a singer as well yeah. I was I was um, coming at it I mean that that became my priority, you know, yeah. um, to begin with. And DJ Shadow's a music maker, you know. That's yeah. he's he's his vocals are a drum programming, you know. Um, I mean, yeah, he write he can program drums like a lead like a lead singer can sing a song, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um, and that's you know that's DJ Shadow, um, and he's also super musical. And so yeah, we come at it from completely different. But it's not even about comparing even that it's just that that was then and then this that was yeah. then as well yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know there were two different thens and and it's like they're completely unrelated so where did so um so while you're working on the uncle stuff when that the second album finished when did you start that when did you go back to kind of doing stuff on your own um or were you just working on the uncle stuff kind of continuously for a period yeah, for 10 years. I mean, you know, there were remixes. The first track I got involved with was on was was when the track that Ian Brown sung on on Science Fiction. It wasn't actually on the album, but it was a single. It was an yeah. instrumental that Ian Brown was on and I did some production on that. Yeah. Um, that was the first uncle song that I was credited on. And um, and then 
a lot of different remixes came in and I just got more and more involved in the remixes and stuff leading up to the first Uncle Record we made together yeah. and then there was loads of loads of things um, uh, loads of, yeah loads of different things that happened um, then the next Uncle Record which is the one we made in LA um, and and then coming back from that one um I met someone called Wendy Ray Fowler in LA and we ended up starting a band called We Fell to Earth. Right. Um, and a year or two, it was in 2008, I think, we we started recording that album in London. She came to London. And, um, and I realised that I wanted to focus on that. I wanted to make that my thing. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, I left Uncle. I think it was in 2008, and we released the We Fell to Earth record in 2009. Yeah. Um, and how did that go? Like how how was that received? It was it was received. Pretty, I mean, we we were really fortunate. We got like four syncs straight off the bat on our yeah. first EP, like with um, CSI and some quite big shows, and. Um, so it was a great start on that level and, and, and of course those kinds of things are you know really helpful for, for promotion yeah absolutely um, and then the album came out we didn't sell many copies we got some good touring we, we toured Eastern Europe with Air which was amazing wow yeah um, that was amazing I mean the whole thing from the start of We Fell to Earth we fell to earth it still it still exists um, but in terms of that cycle we started the album it took us a year to make it and we toured for a year um, or we did date should I say over that yeah. yearly year period um, and then we sadly um, had to had a stalemate situation with our uh, managers slash label conflict of interest situation <laughs> right um where they wanted some more music yeah but we felt like we were only just getting going with the promotion of this one and they wanted some more music right before they give us any more tour support and we wanted some more tour support before they before we give them any more music yeah and, and we never got past that oh. um and yeah but we were still signed so we couldn't make any new music for like a couple of years so I did a bit of production then actually okay um, because that's all I could really do yeah. um, without anything I made for myself would be owned by them even if it was solo stuff yeah. so I produced some stuff for a band called Duke Spirit oh um, yeah yeah produced some songs on their re- on a record called Bruiser um, yeah and a band called The Invisible I produced their right. second album um, and Then, then what happened? And then, um, I think, yeah, there was, I was, I was then wondering what to do. Um, I wanted to make some solo stuff, but again, I felt, I, I was really nervous. I didn't have the confidence to, I was like, yeah, I, I didn't have the, I just didn't have the, 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 the motivation to get started. 
and then a track that I'd done for I'd, I'd written this the soundtrack to this movie um, actually on my own at some point before that um, can't remember exactly when and there was one song from it that that I really liked um, the movie was a it, it was it was it didn't do very well it didn't it, it was a bit of a mess um, but this one song uh, Michael Mann heard it and right. he was doing a he was doing a show Dustin Hoffman was starring called Luck on HBO it was right. an amazing show actually sadly only one season for 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 for, for, sad, for sad reasons I mean they were going to make it but it was about it was about the underbelly of horse racing like the dark right, side okay. of horse racing and and but I think like some horses got killed in the making of it and obviously that was you know that's it's not going to continue after that yeah fair enough um but a shame because it was a great show shame that that had to happen um and of course it would have been great to continue being the end title theme on that series <laughs> yeah. um but what it was it was michael mann saying i want to use your track yeah which was like okay so yeah i i, I felt validated to make a solo record when yeah off the back of that yeah and um and that's when I began and that was seven years ago um I began making some music and um so yeah I, so basically first thing I did was I, I did a cover of Nights in White Satin um strong choice yeah well I'd always loved that song and, and it was just where I was I was going through some stuff and the lyrics like have meant more than they ever had and um and so I did that. I did a cover of that and and a, and a couple of remixes, and just and 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 just put it out myself. Like did I started a Facebook page, started a yeah. Instagram. Yeah, yeah. Did the stamped stamped the 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 uh, CDs and and it felt really good. And I was like, well, I'm just going to do this just a single at a time. Like, yeah. Great. Um, and the next thing, seven years went by and. I hadn't done another single. <laughs> um, yeah, what happened? Uh, what in, happened, what what happened, happened in those seven years? I then? fell asleep. <laughs> you went back to sleep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. I stopped drinking. Okay. A year before, or six months before, I um, I used to drink a lot and. Yeah. And I and, and I stopped, um, and there was a period of adjustment around that. Yeah. And nights in white satin. That's why that felt so okay. relevant lyrically, um, because yeah, life is very different without alcohol. In my experience. Yeah. And and it took a long time to adjust. Um, it took years, in fact. Hmm. And so that became the priority. And I was really fortunate that bits of royalties were coming in that made it so that I could make that my priority yeah because I did need that to be at the forefront of just yeah. learning to live without you know getting high um, needed to be my priority yeah and so the record became the the kind of art therapy to that that, yeah. that experience and um 
Yeah, I mean, I've never, I've never said this publicly because I've never, because I've never been interviewed about, because I haven't done any press. I finished the record at the end of last year. Yeah, um, I put it on YouTube. Yeah, and and Spotify myself. Um, and now looking back, I realise that because it had, um, it documented the most painful period of my life, basically. Yeah, you know, I worked the twelve steps. Yeah. And through that process, I'd had to do a lot of digging into yeah. my past, yeah. and um, and that record is basically the melodic um, document of what I found. Wow. <laughs> so it's not surprising that I didn't really feel like I wanted to. Uh, well, it may be surprising, but I did. I didn't feel. I just didn't feel like I wanted to give it any promotion it was like I was really I'm really proud of it and I'm glad it exists and I'm glad it's on Spotify yeah um, because it yeah because there are a few people that I've spoken to who get, who get a lot out of it yeah people who yeah for whatever reason they, they're, they're, they're appreciating that appreciating that it exists yeah and I appreciate the support it gave me through that period yeah um, in a nutshell it's that simple and yeah and I, I'm just grateful that I did finally get it finished but yeah that period was about healing and music second and but music being part of that healing process yeah, yeah. and I'm just fortunate yeah that that there was that the funds were sufficient one way or another to make that that pro whole process possible yeah and um, and so I've started this year with a clean slate I didn't even know what I wanted to do, um, whether I wanted to, to do anything uh, new as a solo artist, whether I wanted to just work on other people's music, whether in what capacity I wanted to work at all. But over the last two or three weeks, I've come to the conclusion that it's time to give my career a second opportunity. There was the first period and then yeah. there was the period of rest and kind of renewal yeah and now it's there's an opportunity to to relaunch a career not with any expectations beyond just hoping to support myself financially through it yeah. and anything else is a bonus yeah um but yes without the the use of substances to kind of get me from A to B, and um, and see, and and but there's a but there's an energy that has taken seven years to get in touch with that yeah. is inherent in my being. Yeah, and it's literally in the last two or three weeks that I've got in touch with that, and it's really strong. Wow. <laughs> um. Yeah, and I'm really excited for the potential it has. Um, yeah and what it might what it might yeah what it what it might offer creatively well i already know because i've, I've been working on the first song and it's really i really okay. really like what's yeah. coming out um yeah there's a there's a, there's a, there's a there's so how a you how are you approaching it now then do you sort of approach it in more of a like kind of work as in like this is my job you know because there's that whole thing where well, certainly, I, I've found it before, and I know a lot of people do. It's a making music can be a social thing, you know. Oh yeah, well, 
we'll get in the studio we'll have a few beers we'll see what happens you know and or we'll you know we'll take something or whatever and what i've found personally what i've found is now that when i want to get something done or i've got a dj and gig or whatever i don't drink or anything because i find that actually i make better decisions they're harder to come to but they're better decisions for doing that but i haven't given up drinking or anything but when i'm serious about what i'm actually making i abstain from drinking so that i i'm not clouded in any way or not there's not something else making a judgment and so it feels like i treat it more like work by doing that i normally have more success i normally get to better places because of that do you think that's a similar thing or do you think you will find that in a similar way well no i i didn't used to drink in the studio i used to fill the gaps with drinking right. and, and drugging it was the gaps and and yeah it and and um that in a way well not in a way absolutely i realized i was a workaholic as much as an alcoholic because if i was working i wouldn't have to you know, for example, when I made the Invisible record, I hardly, because we were working such long days, I hardly yeah. drank. Yeah. But then the minute we stopped, I went into a pub for a couple of drinks and came out there at 10 in the morning <laughs> because I didn't have to work. You yeah. know, if I didn't yeah. have work, then I, I didn't have a reason not to be in the pub. Okay, or that's That was just the way it was. It was in that moment. I was like, actually, yeah, wow. It's only when I'm working that I can, I was like, I don't drink. You know, I'm like, I'm good. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, I'm not working now. Okay now i can't leave the pub um so yeah that was when it kind of the penny dropped that it was only when i could just be just in workaholism that i wasn't in alcoholism (laughs) (laughs) and that's just yeah that's just that's just the reality of 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 who i am and and it's good to see those things because then when you see them you can start to make you can start to see what you can do to to make changes and, and support whatever it is that is causing that yeah that, 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 um, I mean it is amazing that you've managed to kind of recognise it do something about it give it the time it takes to go through something like that especially because I think you know you sort of realise it's actually been you know since you first start boozing or you know you're in london skateboarding or whatever it's you like realize it's 20 years ago and you've been doing that living that lifestyle for that long mm. and it takes a long time to get past it it's not just a quick decision and right life will move on in a different direction that takes a long time to get through it and i think that's quite incredible that you've given yourself that much time and recognized it and kind of given yourself a break give yourself the time do you know what I mean you haven't kind of driven yourself mad (laughs) waiting for it to come or or, you know allowing the sort of art to come back to you as if it you know as it were yeah I mean interestingly yeah it's been a process it's been it's been it's been a tough but amazing process of 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 growth basically growing up um growing growing up and out of something that I didn't even realise I was in yeah um, which is a theme um, <laughs> for sure but interestingly just just like to remember that you know when I was used to be in the studio and it back in back in the old days and, and things and something happened like something and I was like oh my god that's awesome I'd 
metaphorically speaking, without knowing it, elbow out the way in instantly that that was creating it, and then suddenly nothing had happened. Yeah. Like what? Uh, and then I'd have to go to the pubs. I'd be so fucked off. And it took me a good few years of not drinking to realise that it wasn't me that was ever making the music. It was that that came through me when I got out the way. Yeah. And and I've just learnt to stay out the way. Yeah. This process is like not only when I stay out the way can I when I stay out the way, you know, people will take that for whatever they however they want. Um, I not only don't want to drink, I don't need to drink, but yeah. I'm a lot more creative. Yeah. And so this process has not only kept me sober, it's shown me what where my creativity comes from and and how to stay in touch with it on a much more um, consistent basis. Yeah. Well, that brings us right up to date, doesn't it, I guess? Which is great. Um, so, so we'll get on to the subject of the podcast. It's called The Current State. And so kind of having gone through that journey, and especially like, you know, the last few years of an incredible journey, where is sort of music at for you right now? You say, you know, you release an album, put it on Spotify, you haven't really done any promo for it, you've just kind of put it out in the world. How does that feel different to kind of releases that you've had before? Do you think like the whole game has changed? When you were thinking about releasing some music, you're like, what world, how do I put this out? Or what, what format do I put it out in? Who's in? Is anyone listening? And if they are listening, how do I... Are, you know where are they do you sort of did you think about any of this sort of thing <laughs> i love that where are you no but you know no, like no exactly they can be anywhere in the world yeah, now course. it's not like you need the physical distribution Absolutely. things to get your music to all these different corners of the world you can just put it in one place and anyone can reach it yeah do all they did any like you know how do you see sort of the world of music right now from your point of view I see it as I see it as an enigma <laughs> in, in truth has um, it always been an enigma to you well in the uncle days there was someone else doing all that stuff yeah you know I didn't I just was in the studio yeah and there was a there was a a, a um there was a an infrastructure around us, um, and and then I suppose with We Fell to Earth there was a smaller one, but there was one, and but since I've been making solo music, there hasn't been at all. I haven't had a manager since We Fell to Earth, since we yeah. parted ways with the We Fell to Earth management, and um and yeah, so. I suppose because I was making a record and then when I finished it, I'd get round to working all that stuff out yeah. and then it didn't get finished for a, a number of years. So I didn't ever have to look into that stuff. And um, and so it's only been recently that, that now, after finishing that and realising that I don't want to promote that, but then deciding, okay, I'm going to make some more music um, and so I suppose I better work out and... How this, how this social media stuff works yeah and but it is it's it's day one for me um 
in terms of just working out exactly how much how much I can get out of that, you know. Um, it's amazing though, because at first I, 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 yeah, it is, it is quite, it's, it's quite amazing how much I can learn about myself through engaging with social media. I did at first think this is just going to detract me from myself and diminish my connection with myself. Yeah. But it actually, again, that's um, you know contempt prior to investigation or proper investigation because yeah I thought I knew what social media was about but when I'm now engaging with it properly yeah um, because I don't have a choice I am finding that yeah it's it's um, it's, a, it's a powerful mirror and and it really shows me yeah it's teaching me a lot about myself yeah. it really is and and I love it in that way. And so it's really early days in terms of the promotion side. I'm, I'm just enjoying at the moment the fact that, oh my God, this thing that I just thought was unhealthy, period, yeah. is actually quite a powerful tool in in human development, potentially. If it's, I mean, it's, it gets such a bad rap, but I'm finding that it is, I'm growing from the experiences I'm having with it. It can be a force for good. Yeah. In the same way, it's it's kind of like a neutral thing, isn't it? It depends how you use it. Exactly. It's and yeah, exactly. So it's about you, the relationship. It. Yes. If it's you like use it in a horrible way, then all you get back is shit. Yes, exactly. But if you generally use it in a positive way, then you reap the positive rewards from it. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 like any relationship. It's like if the relationship, if there's something wrong with the relationship, or my experiences, I can blame the other party, whether that be a person, a place, or a thing. But it's 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 just the way I'm relating to that person, place, or thing, not the relation, not the other person, place, or thing. Yeah. Like if I reevaluate the way I'm relating, yeah. then I realise actually, yeah, it was just the way I was relating that was the problem, not what, who, or what, or why I was, who I was relating, what I was relating with. Yeah. And that's really empowering, actually, and especially yeah, the most recent kind of realisation around that being around social media, mm. and. Um, but it is early days, so I haven't got much. To, I haven't got much to say. I'm, I'm working on the first song. Um, I'm realising that the more I engage, the better. Um, I'm going to start, and I have done this before. I did do this um, in, because I did finish the, or close to finish the album a few times over that seven years, and then right. just go back in. Yeah. Um, so I have had little runs of it. I just never. I just re I, I resented it. I resented having to do it most of the time. Right. And now I'm not. I suppose, yeah, I just wasn't ready to embrace it. And But now I, I respect it for what it can offer and the way that it can enable those connections to everyone everywhere. Yeah. And, um, and how, how important it is and how, well, how necessary it is now to, to, to get an audience. But it's... I, I'm, I'm, I'm open to being taught, you know, it's like I need to... I need to just learn by just using it I'm yeah. really at that stage where now now I'm not resentful at it you know I can learn from it and yeah. it's, but it is day one and I'm, I'm engaging and um, well I'm, I'm beginning to engage and enjoying engagement for the first time I have to say um, but yeah I, I haven't got any words of wisdom around social media because I'm a newbie okay 
And then going back to the point we made right at the start where you were talking about capturing your ideas on your phone, just through singing them or yeah. humming them or whatever. What ways has kind of technology changed the way you go about making music? Obviously, we talked about the phone. What other, you know, is there been any other kind of major developments, you know, kind of sample time and the way you can DJ with different formats now and everything like that? Is is has that changed much for you? Um. Not really for a few years. I'm drawing a blank here. I don't really know what I can add in this department. The only thing that comes to mind, which isn't particularly interesting, is the fact that they never. Well, no, it, no. It's, it's it's a bit of a. I, I I like I like it. I like the fact that. And I don't like it, but it's the fact that they weren't able to make an MPC that... Oh no, no, it's not even true. The last MPC that I liked, the Thousand, right. had such a small amount of sample time. And yeah, and I, I still had to, um, like, for, we, we use it live a lot and I had to, like, speed all our album up like four or shrink it all four times yeah and then pitch it down like four octaves once yeah. I got it into the, the MPC um but I don't ever but that's the last time I ever remember being inhibited by by um in any way by technology yeah do you feel um, like technology's kind of in a sense set us free because it's offering almost limitless possibilities yeah I don't, yeah, I, yeah, that's it, because I don't even think about it anymore. It's just kind of there, and it works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so which is great. right? Yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> okay. I mean, even though in the debate, you know, in the old days when you did have limitations, and it was in, it was fun to work out how to get around yeah. the limitations in order to, you'd have a big idea, and then it would be like, well, how can I make this work with this, this and that? Yeah. But that really comes up now do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing do you think inhibitions like um, spark creativity or do you think that the, the creativity is there anyway uh, they certainly might they would they would they would steer it in a particular direction and and sometimes well those directions would lead to the kind of music that was made in those times yes, and now we're here and the kind of music is informed by the lack of limitation that we're yeah. surrounded by. I suppose I used to be... I used to have bees in my bonnet around the way things were, and today I'm just happy with the way things are. Oh, that's a nice place to be, I guess. Most of the time. Content? Would you say content? Just accepting. Accepting. More than content. Yeah. Um, ex content through acceptance. Yeah. Yeah. That's a powerful thing. I wish I could find that. <laughs> yeah, I, I can. I yeah. 
it only takes seven years. Yeah, I'll start now. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I suppose it's only who who would who would I wouldn't have ever got there if I wasn't backed into a corner and had no choice. Yeah. I mean, as a human being, the only time that I make my life easier is when it gets so hard that I haven't got a choice. Yeah, when I make it so hard that I don't have a choice, I either fucking go mad yeah. or die or do something you know but yeah. that's the only time when it, gets, it has to get that bad for yeah, me yeah. to do anything about it I think that, and that's the human condition I, I believe think, I think that is yeah can't just go yeah I think I'm going to go and do that it's like no I'll only do that if I have no other choice it's either yeah. die or do that <laughs> <laughs> that's been my experience and I've been fortunate enough that some I've had some quite bad experiences that have forced me yeah to make some changes that have yeah. ultimately been yeah like life affirming but I would never have chosen them I've been okay. only f- been forced into those yeah. situations and but and then realizing yeah that's the only way I think that it's it's possible to, to for those situations to happen because yeah sometimes you need a you need a big fulcrum don't you to kind of lever off I think yeah yeah I mean yeah it's yeah, okay. it's, 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 it seems to be that way. Do you have... Oh, please, please do help yourself. Oh, t- yeah, so you don't have to edit out the, the crunch, the biscuit crunching. I'll wait till afterwards. I thought that was it then. We're nearly there. We're, the we're nearly there, I promise. Just, <laughs> I like to end every episode by seeing if you've got any advice for sort of anybody who wants to kind of follow a similar say a similar path to what you've done like want to get into music or want to get into DJing or feel like they're they're outside and you know they're not welcome at the party have you got any advice for anybody who feels like that I think the most the thing that has given me the most breaks is to find the courage to to ask people um, if you can come in basically you know to to, to have to have um, I do need one of those biscuits if you can just you just heard (laughs) Um, part of me does um (laughs) Yeah, like to 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 be direct. Um, if you want to be involved in something, ask if you can be involved in it because that's the only way anyone's ever going to know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just um, don't be shy as best you can. Yeah. Because it's only through cutting through that that gap between you and where you want to be that you're ever you're ever going to connect with that. And 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 yeah, and and I think that the sooner the better just to just to break that 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 isn't even there it's it's only a psychological thing and yeah. just and just make make people aware of your presence okay okay well look thanks for coming over thanks for your time i really appreciate it no it's really nice to chat thanks for inviting me so there we have it rich file i hope you enjoyed and has been as inspired from that conversation as I have been since I recorded it 
There'll be more details, links to his website and other bits and pieces on the SoundCloud page that these come from. If you would be so good as to like and subscribe and share and do all that stuff, and I know everything you listen to asks for it, but there is a reason. The more people that listen to this, then the more guests I can hassle to kind of come in and spend a bit of time with me. Just because it is a bit of a long process, it requires like an hour and a half of their time, and that's it's hard to ask for in these days. But if we've got some people that you know really are enjoying it, and I've got comments to show how much people get out of this, then obviously that goes a long way to uh, motivating people to come in and kind of tell their story and share their thoughts. So yeah, if you'd be so kind, reviews on iTunes, share it among your friends on social media, that'd be great. You know the score. Everybody asks you to do the same thing. So next time we're going to have a really enjoyable conversation and a really long conversation it's going to be a two-parter with Mr B the Gentleman Rhymer which was recorded back in 2018 and I was a bit daunted by the length of it and the editing process so in the end I just decided to uh, cut it in half put it out in two parts and another thing to mention the mix that sits underneath this podcast this week is also going to be available to download. This is an original mix made by me of All Rich's Music. So I hope uh, if you download that, you can listen to that separately. I do that from time to time. If I've created a good mix or my guest has created a good mix, then uh, I often put that out as well, being a DJ. So yeah, we'll see you next time on the Current State of Music podcast. Until then, take care of yourselves. Peace. Peace.